This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Welcome to the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 165. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks so much for listening today. Well, this is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, Mondays in New York City, I tell you, there's always something fun to do. It seems to be uh, lately anyway. Uh, this week, I attended London Sessions at Giuseppe Gonzalez's great new bar, Suffolk Arms. And London Sessions is... Uh, put on by the lovely Rebecca Dooley, who uh, is from London, and uh, she describes London Sessions as bar stories with drinks and stuff. So uh, in this case, it was sponsored by Woodford Reserve, and uh, we drank some nice bourbon punch and listened to Giuseppe give a great talk about his great new bar. He's so passionate about it, and his, his bar is beautiful, it's classy, it's homey, it's comfortable, and it's a true New York bar. It's a, sort of an homage to his love of New York City. He's a, he's a New York City boy from the Bronx, and uh, it's, it's really a great bar. There's portraits on the walls of hand-drawn portraits of, uh, of influential New Yorkers, and uh, the, the, the ceiling is gorgeous. It's made out of bricks with wood and oh it's lights it's beautiful I, I have pictures of it and i'll post some of those up on bartenderjourney.net along with the posting that goes with this show number 165 uh bartender journey number 165 so if you're listening to this in the future uh and you can go to bartenderjourney.net on the podcast page and just type in 165 in the google search bar on the upper right hand side and that'll bring you right to the posting that goes along with this show Giuseppe had some cool things to say during his talk. Uh, he talked about, uh, he said, the look of the inside and the outside of the bar tells a story without saying a word. And uh, the, he showed a picture of a pub in England that's just totally covered with flowers. And then at night it's all lit up. And uh, that was sort of his inspiration. And he's, uh, he's getting around to uh, covering the outside of his bar with a, a bunch of flowers and stuff. So um, that's going to look really cool. Uh, but he says, I, I like to communicate things without having to say it. Giuseppe talked about his five rules for his bartenders if they want to get a drink on the drink menu. You don't necessarily have to agree with all of these, but I think there's something to be learned from this. Number one, no infusions. Well, this is because uh, he likes any drink that's ever been made in his bar to be available forever. And, uh, you know, so if you have a drink made with an infusion and then that drink comes off the menu, uh, what happens? Uh, You're not making that infusion anymore and that drink's not available anymore, right? Know every ingredient in your cocktail. Like, really know it. So uh, he, he just wants you to, to really know uh, everything about every ingredient in your cocktail. You get to present it to him once. No do-overs. But he says you should fight for your drink. He says, uh, number four, if your drink is not able to be replicated in any bar in the world, forget about it. Number five, nothing brand specific. That all makes a lot of sense, and uh, yeah, I think there's something to be learned from that. So, uh, hey, let's talk to Giuseppe for a minute. Well, Ask away, brother, please. Well, this is a beautiful bar you have here, and uh, I'd, I'd love to hear some of the challenges. I know it took you a long time to get this place open, so I'd love to hear a little bit about the challenges of getting it going. Oh, man. Um, God, the challenges. I mean, like, every time you open up a bar in New York City, it's going to be tough. I mean, the first challenge is, like, getting the community board approval, and then dealing, like, dealing with the landlord, negotiating the lease. Um, I mean, the biggest... I don't want to say the biggest, but the first hurdle is always just like, am I going to do this? Yeah. You know, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to do this again? You know, I've had a few business, you know, a few business relationships that were frustrating and just like didn't end up in my favor. So it's like, do I really want to do this? I could be happy just consulting and just get a hotel job and just make a lot more money, a lot less stress and call it a day. Um, 
But then of course I realize I'm not built to do anything else and I'm, I'm definitely not built to have a boss anymore. Right. And there's always been a part of me which is like, oh, I wonder if, like, you know, if I, had, if I ever had a place that I could ever, I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. You know, and that was it. Wow. And you did it without investors, really. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, just like me and my partner Ruben. Thank God, man. It's just like it took a lot of work, um, a lot of patience. I mean, there were a few times like we ran out of cash, and we're just like, oh, you know, so and so wants to go here, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like loans, not giving up equity, and then figuring, like, you get creative, and you, you know, there's a lot of prayer. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of prayer just like oh god I hope this works out for us you know right, and, right. and now seeing it open and how you know the people are people are receiving it it's like yeah it's been a blessing there's been a lot of great press and how did you uh, how did you manage to uh, to do that was that a conscious decision or did you kind of um, I mean I work with a really great team of people like you know I have a PR team Hannah Lee um, she works well I mean like I've been doing this long enough I think the bar has a lot of innovative things that we do that are different um, that people want to talk about. I don't want, I hate talking about cocktail trends because it's just like, oh, you know, like we, we have an old New York City bartender who gets to open his, you know, his dream project of bar. People, you know, lucky enough, a lot of people are impressed and pay attention. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard you describe it as a as a New York bar, and I, I love that. And the, the portraits around here are amazing. Yeah, you're, you're, right. you're obviously passionate about about being a New Yorker, which uh, you're right behind Norman Mailer and Slick Rick and Ed Koch. You're right, uh, right, yeah. and right, and right here. I call this the Harvey Milk corner. So like Harvey Milk and my favorite graffiti writer scene. The sort of centerpiece of the bar and the largest uh, portrait in in the bar is uh, these hand drawn portraits all over the all over the bar. Uh, but the largest one is actually of the New York City Library and the two lines, the two famous lines. Actually, only one of them, but the the two lions are named Patience and Fortitude. Um, patience, Patience. I was like, I got to choose between Patience or Fortitude. It's like, oh, patience to me. You know, fortitude requires patience. Right. You know, <laughs> you know for, patience doesn't require fortitude. Mm. I don't think. You know, right. Do you feel, you feel at home here? You feel like there's, even though it's fairly recently opened, but you feel history somehow. I mean, it's a different animal every day. Like sometimes, like, you know, it's really chill and smooth. Yeah. Other times, it's a madhouse. And we're just like, oh, it's a complete opposite of what... You know, like you think a cocktail bar should be, where it's yeah. like, like I remember, like you know, Friday, Saturday, you know, it's bananas, bars packed, people are doing shots, there's laughing. I remember <laughs> once, like, you know, Lauren Hill came on the radio, and the whole bar started singing Lauren Hill. Um, and then, like, I have days like Monday, Tuesday, where I'm sitting down, just like you know, walking guests through like, different drinks, and you can engage different. You know, the, the, you can engage differently. You know what I mean? That really just changes what the bar is. But the beautiful thing is just like. It's not fixed. It can be one or the other. You gotta adapt. You gotta adapt. Well, I won't keep you too long, but I just wanted to ask you one more question about yeah. it. You, met, you mentioned you you won almost every competition except for one yeah. that you entered, and <laughs> and I wonder if that was related to what you said about the drinks on your menu happen to be recreatable in any bar in America. Was that your philosophy with competitions as well? Um, yeah, like I've always, well. When I enter competitions, like they're all different rules, different judges. So I'm just like, oh, let me see what they're looking for, kind of deal. And the one time I made a drink, I was just like, I'm sticking by this. I don't care if you don't get it. This is really good. I think, just like I said it to myself, like I had so much faith. I was just like, oh, people will get it, yeah. you know? And they didn't. <laughs> You never know. Those competitions no, like, are fun. They're fun, but they're. Uh, no, it, was a t- it was a good lesson, though. It was a good lesson. We're just like, all right, you know, like the one drink, like 
the one drink that I didn't win the cocktail competition for gave me the drink that people most know me for. Right. You know, so the irony is I won something much greater than that competition could have ever given me. That's awesome. You know, but at the time I was really pissed. Yeah, I bet. That was awesome, man. Thank you so much for talking. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Cheers, man. Cheers, brother. So that was cool, getting a chance to talk to Giuseppe and uh, spending the early afternoon at his bar, Suffolk Arms. And then next stop was up to the Pen Club for the Indie Spirits Expo tasting. And uh, it was, it was, there was a lot to taste there. It was a crowded room, and it was a very noisy room. And uh, I met an interesting author there. Uh, I'm Jeff Cialetti, and the name of my book is The Year of Drinking Adventurously. It's available from Turner Publishing in both hardcover, paperback, and in Kindle editions. Uh, basically, the idea is it's uh, 52 chapters. Each one represents a different kind of drink, whether it's a spirit, uh, a beer. Uh, there's some like fortified wines and some cider in there as well. It's probably tilted more towards the spirits, though. So each week encourages people to get out of their comfort zones and try something new. So it kind of becomes a little bit of a challenge, try something new every week for a year. Some stuff you might fall in love with, some stuff you may not, but at least you'll have tried it. And it gives a little background on the different types of spirits, a little bit of their history and uh, how they're made and that sort of thing. And um, just, uh, you know, like a lot of people, the, the thinking behind it was, Everybody sort of has like one or two, maybe three default drinks that they go after. And, and a lot of, especially people that aren't really that into, uh, or not that plugged into uh, different kinds of spirits and stuff, they go to a bar, they're just completely overwhelmed. The bartender yeah. comes up and is like, you know, what are you going to have? And sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know, so just give me a vodka tonic or a vodka cranberry or something like that. And that ends up becoming the default. So what this really does is gives people a little bit of background on so many different types of things that are out there. So the next time they go out or the next time they're at a liquor store or something, they can be like, oh, you know, I read about that. That's interesting. I want to try that. Yep. I told you it was noisy. Well, we talked a little bit more about the interaction between the guest and the bartender. You know, as you go through it and you learn a few things, you can actually have a conversation with, with the bartenders and, and you know, they're very passionate about what they do and if you engage them and talk about some things like so oh, I read this and that and have a conversation I mean you're going to make a friend you know so once again, the book is called The Year of Drinking Adventurously, 52 Ways to Get Out of Your Comfort Zone by Jeff Cioletti. And that'll be our book of the week. And Jeff gave me a copy of this book to give out to one of you, one of, one of the listeners. So uh, anyone who goes over to bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe and uh, signs up for this for the email list, uh, which I almost never send out emails, but uh, I may start. In fact, I haven't sent out any yet, but I plan to, uh, to start doing that. Anyway, uh, anyone who signs up for that email list uh, will be entered into a drawing to win this book. If you're in the United States, I'll send it to you, and we'll make the deadline for that um, June the 2nd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, anybody who uh, signs up for the email list on bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe is entered into the drawing to win a free copy of this book, and I forgot to mention, it's a signed copy, signed by the author. I'll give you an alternate way to sign up for the contest. If you go over to iTunes and find Bartender Journey and leave a review, a written review, you'll be entered into the contest as well. So, uh, yeah, leave a nice uh, review so you can sit, leave five stars or leave as many as you want, five is the most, and uh, say something nice and you'll be entered into the contest by doing that as well. Or either way, one or the other, do both. That would be great. 
And of course, this will be our book of the week. So if you go to bartenderjourney.net and you just want to purchase this book, get on over there to bartenderjourney.net and you'll see an Amazon link for it. Anytime you go to uh, bartenderjourney.net and click through to Amazon through there, whether you buy that book or product or something else that uh, as long as you click through from from bartenderjourney.net, you'll be helping out the show just a little bit. I appreciate it. All right. Let's talk about rum for a little bit. Uh, Wikipedia actually has a pretty good uh, description of what rum is. And Wikipedia says, quote, Rum is a distilled alcoholic beverage made from sugarcane byproducts, such as molasses, or directly from sugarcane juice by a process of fermentation and distillation. The distillate, a clear liquid, is then usually aged in oak barrels, end quote. So let's break that down a little. Uh, It's more commonly made with uh, molasses, which is a byproduct of making sugar of making granulated sugar so that it's molasses is sort of the uh the leftovers from making uh from making sugar the regular granulated sugar that you're used to seeing so many years ago someone figured hey let's find a use for this stuff and uh one of the uses is to make it into uh rum so it's fermented with water and yeast and then it's distilled so uh and then uh as wikipedia says it's any any uh Still, it anything that comes off the still is going to be clear, of course, and then uh, to give it color, it's going to be aged in oak barrels. Rum is a little different. Uh, a silver rum is often aged in oak barrels, and then it goes through a, filta- a filtration process to get rid of that color for a silver rum, uh, not for not for an aged rum or, or or a dark rum. Moving on in Wikipedia's description here, quote. The majority of the world's rum production occurs in the Caribbean and Latin America. Rum is also produced in Austria, Spain, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, the Philippines, India, uh, other places, South America, and, of course, America, the United States. So there's great rum being made in America now, and and for many years it really held a place in American history, uh, especially in the colonial times. But uh, I won't get into that now. But at that Indie Spirits Expo I went to this week, Berkshire Mountain Distilling Company was there, and uh, I have some of their rum here. It's the Ragged Mountain Rum, and it's quite delicious. It's a blackstrap molasses rum, triple distilled in copper pot stills. And I got a chance to talk to Michael Sherry from Berkshire Mountain. Well, I mixed up uh, one of your cocktails here. I've got the strawberry ginger highball. It's good. Oh, yeah, that's right. I attached some of our cocktails. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yep, yep. So a lot of spice from the – you use fresh ginger, I'm guessing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a lot of spice and then the sweetness from the from the strawberry. Great drink. Yeah, it is. Well, we'll make that our cocktail of the week this week. It's uh, 1.5 ounce of the Ragged Mountain Rum. Uh, it's three quarters ounce of fresh lemon juice, three quarters ounce of simple syrup, a fresh strawberry, and some uh, fresh ginger. So you muddle the strawberry and the and the uh, ginger together. Uh, add the rest, uh, the ingredients, shake that up, put it in a highball glass with some ice, and top it off with some ginger beer or ginger ale. I use ginger beer. Ginger beer. I love ginger beer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a lot more spice. Appreciate that. Yeah, good stuff. So, uh, well, tell us uh, how long uh, how long has the company been around? So we started in 2007, um, <clears throat> and up until uh, last year, we were working out of this tiny little barn, which had uh, this beautiful romance. It was it was sitting right on the edge of uh, the Appalachian Mountains, and what, one of the coolest things about that space was uh, its history. So it was on um, Soda Springs Farm, uh, is what the name of it was. And there was a granite-fed spring house that's been there since the 1800s. And so one of the most important things um, that the founder of the company, uh, Chris Weld, has mentioned is that 
that granite Fred spring is, is in, in, uh, in all spirits is, is the cornerstone of all spirits. Uh, and so what we use is we really like that granite fed spring. It's got this great uh, natural sweetness. There's a lot of minerality to it uh, and this great viscosity. So uh, when we are doing our blending of, of whatever spirit we use, we always use that water to finish uh, uh, when it goes into the bottle. So it's, it's a huge piece for us and it's, it's quite historic for the Berkshires. And uh, we like that a lot. So when, when we started there, you know, that was a really great space uh, just because the water was right with it. Uh, and then we were working out of this, this fairly old, old barn, uh, which, which uh, was really fun to, you know, cut up the floors and, and try and fit the, the very large still that we have. And, and some of the second use fermenters that we actually ended up getting from an old brewery. Um, which now, you know, we had the fun opportunity of moving them down to our, our, our new location. But it was nice to, to work up there, and, and now we're down uh, a little bit farther south. As I mentioned, we're, you know, right on a busy road, Route 7, uh, right next to a, a local brewery, in fact. So, oh, that's great. Know, it's a great little Saturday if you'd like to come taste some beer and, and some spirits. All right. So you're bottling here at um, 80 Proof for the rum. That's right. And uh, what, how, how long will this stay in a barrel? You know, the rum, uh, we like to, to get it as old as possible. Uh, right now, we're pulling a lot of four-year-old rum, and we like to use our bourbon barrels to age the rum. The bourbon barrel, first of all, when we make bourbon, uh, we, we cannot use that barrel again for bourbon, as you most likely know. Yeah. Um, and so what we use is um, we, we put our rum in them afterward, and we really like the smoky quality you get from that bourbon barrel, uh, a little less wood, uh, which we also like because that way you can really have the rum uh, displayed. You know, it's got this great, uh, you know, vanilla and caramely notes that you get uh, from the barrel. But also, um, since we make such a high ester count rum, you get a lot of those banana peel and tropical fruit nose. And we let them sit now right in the in the barn um, for four years, and it gets a lot of of great flavor after after such a long time of age. Nice. Now. Uh- Tell us about ester. So we make what's called a high ester count rum, and that's a very important thing, especially down in the Caribbean, where we make what's between a 400 and 600 ester count rum. Uh, And the way we do that, first of all, is we we have a bit of a rum season, we call it, where in the wintertime, we'll do a lot of our rum fermentations because to produce such a high amount of esters, you need a colder temperature. Hmm. So we wait for the winter to do a lot of our rum uh, fermentation. Okay. And when that happens is we can literally open the garage door right next to the fermenters and it gets quite cold in there. And that rum really slows down uh, and provides these really interesting, uh, like I said before, banana peel, um, tropical fruit flavors. Those are all coming from what's called congeners, which congener in Latin breaks down to cone meaning with and genere meaning to generate. Uh, these are something that is generated uh, with the act of fermentation because of the yeast uh, eating sugar. And esters is inside that large category of congeners. So we, we like to produce a high amount of those esters, um, which because they'll eventually, uh, inevitably, uh, be distilled in our pot still. So that is so that's a function of where you make the cut, right? That's right. That's right. Yep. When we distill, we like I mentioned to you earlier, we'll, we'll do a triple pot still mm-hmm. uh, for both our whiskey and our rum. And when we distill our rum on that third distillation, we'll make those heads, hearts, and tails cuts. The, when those esters come off, it's really right uh, towards the the last few cuts of our heads. Uh, and so we like to blend those back in because they have just such great flavor, even even as a white spirit. Um, 
but we, we blend those in and, and then we, we give it the proper age time of, of what we think is four years. So, and it's made with uh, molasses, blackstrap molasses. Blackstrap molasses, that's right. That, so that's a certain uh, grade of molasses, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So when we, we don't make the molasses here at the distillery, uh, the sugar cane is grown down in Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, uh, and it's processed um, most likely to be made into sugar cane. And molasses is a byproduct. And there's actually three different types of molasses. The, the first, you know, some people call cane syrup. Uh, others can just refer to it as like a light molasses. The second product is second molasses, uh, which is uh, created from uh, second boiling and sugar extraction. And it starts to have that slight bitter taste. And then the third is the black strap molasses. So it's, it's really, really bitter. It's got this, you know, super viscous and, and, and intensely robust flavor. Uh, and we really like that. You know, it's, it's frankly, it's really great to use. Uh, for cooking, you know, barbecue sauces, molasses cookies, whatever you like. Um, but it's great for fermentation too because it provides a lot of those interesting flavors, especially during uh, fermentation. And it's one of my favorite things to, to ferment because the whole distillery just fills with this beautiful burnt candy, uh, burnt sugar, fermenting fruit smell. I, I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite things. Yeah, yeah. I bet it smells awesome in there. <laughs> but, <laughs> it uh, does. So, but rum can be made with uh, molasses or sugarcane juice, right? Molasses has to be made uh, from anything sugarcane. So yes, you can use uh, sugarcane juice, you could use molasses, you could use uh, granulated sugar diluted into water. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It just needs to come from the sugar cane. I find the rums that I prefer are made with molasses. Most people do. And in fact, you know, a lot of the rums that we all really like are made from molasses, um, you know, more predominantly down in the Caribbean and other right. places like that. But, yeah. you know, uh, rum actually has quite the history in New England as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, there's a great uh, website that we were featured in a little while ago called tellingnewengland.com slash rum trade. And uh, a woman, Catherine Highsmith, breaks it down in the history. And, and one of the funnier things that she finds is how many different names they used to have for it. And I'll just name off a few. Kill Devil, Oh Be Joyful, <laughs> um, Demon Rum. You know, they, they had some pretty fun names. Uh, I think there's a few more, but, you know, that kind of gets the gist. It's, there's a lot of funky uh, uh, names for it. Rum Bustion is another one. Rum Bowling. <laughs> uh, rum Booze. You know, that one's a little less creative. Uh, <laughs> Barbados, War, Barbados Water. You know, they, they had a lot of names for it. So a lot of that molasses was, at that time, coming down from places like Barbados and other places in the Caribbean. And it was all part of that triangular trade system that we had going on with the Caribbean over to Africa. Um, You know, a lot of rum was leaving uh, very specifically uh, Rhode Island uh, off a ship called the Sanderson. And it would go with something like 8,000 gallons of rum on board. Who knows how much actually made it to Africa. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But it would go all the way to the Gold Coast in Africa, uh, where un- unfortunately they would pick up slaves along with some gold uh, and a lot of peppercorns, and that would bring be brought to, over to the Caribbean, where then they would pick up more molasses to be then brought up and sugar as well, and that would be brought up back uh, up to New England, where they would continue to make rum. Now, frankly, there was a lot of rum at that time also being made down in the Caribbean, but because those colonies were owned by the French, and the colonists would have to pay taxes on that, mm-hmm. so they'd rather. Uh, use molasses and make their own rum. Oh, okay. 
but it, yeah, I mean, the whole time you were talking, I'm thinking I, I, I would think it'd be uh, more cost efficient to ship rum than molasses or the, you know, the, the materials to make it. But uh, when the when the taxation comes into play, I see I see why that happens. <laughs> yeah, frankly, you know, it, uh, there's some jokes that go around that uh, there's there it was a surprise that there was no never any Boston rum party as opposed to the deep party. But I couldn't imagine anyone from Boston, myself being from Boston, dumping anything alcoholic into the day. Yeah, right. I see what you mean. So your rum's triple distilled in a copper pot still. That's that's a lot of work. Triple distilled. Yes, it is a lot of work. We like the triple distilled. You know, the, the still we have right now comes from Louisville, actually. Mm. Uh, it was. It's hard to say who actually used it, but but what we can say that uh, it, it has the name G.H. Hicks and Sons. So that could have been a bourbon or, or some sort of grain whiskey distillery. The still was made in 1967, and wow. we built on some pieces on top of that, which allows us to make things like neutral spirit where we can make our vodka uh, and then our gins uh, but we also have a pot still piece mm-hmm. and when we use that pot still we usually uh, triple distill our rums and our whiskeys when we use our, our pot still to triple distill mm-hmm. uh, it has a high reflux system on it so it actually makes it uh, really uh, quite inefficient but uh, what happens because of its inefficiencies it allows a lot of those congeners through and we can have an easier time of separating them out uh, and then blending them so it makes for a very, very highly crafted spirit, mm. uh, which we all do by taste. We don't use any machines that will separate out any chemicals. That's all done by yours truly and, and some of the other guys that work here. So, uh, so you have your your rum, your bourbon barrels. Then you use them for rum, and and then what happens to them? I'm sure you don't throw them away. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> um, you know, frankly, a lot of the flavors that would be that we're using for our bourbon and then our rum. It, there's not too many more com- flavor components that we could use, um, again, for the next distillation, or sorry, for the next aging. Okay. Um, but we can sell them to places like breweries where they can not so much use the flavor components that's inside the wood, but they can rather uh, use the ones on the surface. Like, for example, while we make such great rum, we can sell it to a brewery, and we have before uh, a great guy up in Pittsfield, which is just about a half an hour north of us, He'll take those rum barrels and he'll make this beautiful stout, uh, which he usually uh, ages in barrels. And it's got this really, really great creamy, rich uh, flavor. And then when you add our rum barrels, him aging our rum barrels, it's got this great complexity, uh, some good wood flavor. Um, So, yeah, no, they don't go to waste. They go to other places Mm. that will make some great beer. And, in fact, some of them are going out now to be going to a cidery. uh, Oh, nice. Uh, somewhere else in Berkshire County. Wow. Cider is yeah. just taking off like crazy now. Yeah, That's yeah. There's, amazing. We, we like it here too. There's there's a, a couple of great cideries. Uh, these guys are a little bit small, um, and so they're doing a lot of their sales just in local liquor stores for now. They, I think uh, I remember correctly, they, they mentioned they were using Jack Daniels barrels, but they really wanted to use uh, somewhat uh, a little bit local. Or so we mm-hmm. we, uh, we stepped up. Nice. We're gonna, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's exciting to see that that category take off, you know, especially for areas like here in the Hudson Valley, or I'm sure apples grow pretty uh, pretty uh, plentifully around your area as well, right? Exactly. Yeah, but it's it's, no, it's, it's great, great for the sugar. farmers, you know. It, it, I'm sure those farmers were struggling for years, and then you know they found this new new uh, product that they can make that's you know in demand. It's great. Oh yeah, and by no means is it new. It's been around for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> new. I don't mean bad choice of words there. Definitely, definitely have a bit of a, more of a rise now uh, with all this craft beer and, of course, the the gluten free scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so, so you're saying you like to uh, you like to do Manhattan's and old fashions with rum? That's that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. A bartender a friend of mine had had mentioned, you know, you put it in bourbon barrels. Why not make it make some yeah. some whiskey drinks? And I said, you know, you're totally right. Yeah. So uh, while I was bartending, I, I would make a rum Hatton with our rum, a little bit of sweet vermouth, and, and a dash of our. Instead of we make bitters as well. Uh, we make a, oh, really? a whiskey-based bitters called Wormwood Bitters, where we use uh, some wormwood from our own garden. Oh, nice. We also uh, make a Falernum Bitters, which is our rum-based bitters, where we age uh, those spices in a rum barrel. Wow. Uh, things like lime and clove. It's very interesting. And so instead of using the whiskey-based bitters, which I usually use for things like Manhattan's, I'll use the Falernum Bitters. Nice. Um, so we'll do two dashes of those uh, and give it a nice stir. Make sure you get the nice Luxardo cherries in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes just such a great drink. It's a little bit sweeter. Uh, yeah. If you like your your Manhattans to not be that sweet, you know, definitely stick to whiskey. Uh, but this is a, it's a really great drink. Maybe make a uh, a perfect Manhattan. Yeah, sure. Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> to make it a little less sweet, you use half sweet and half dry vermouth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I I did try that once. I can't remember the the outcome of that, but. Yeah, Manhattans are really great for the rum. And then Old Fashions, too. I mean, you know, talk about a sweet drink. That's certainly instead of doing this, the sugar cube or the powdered sugar or anything, I go for the, the maple syrup just because, of again, we're in New England. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, throw in uh, – I usually do an ounce and a half of – uh, of rum, and then uh, before I add the rum, I'll, I'll muddle that orange peel with the with the Luxardo cherry, uh, and stir that all in. Strain, and then new ice cube, one of those big round ice cubes. And yeah, that's another great drink, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So with that beautiful backbone again of that bourbon barrel, it, it's it's a really exceptional drink. It's it's fun too, you know. If you're tired of making the same old fashioned, definitely grab a bottle of rum next time. Sounds like a good idea. So uh, I'm just going to take a taste of your uh, rum neat here. You want to kind of walk us through your, um, you know, the, the flavor profile of the rum? Sure, yeah. Like on the nose, you'll definitely notice a lot of those ester notes with the banana peel, tropical fruit. As you're sipping, it's going to seem, you know, there's a good heat to it. Again, a lot of those beautiful banana flavors in the mouth as well. And then on the finish, it's going to finish, again, a lot like a whiskey. It's, it's very interesting. A lot of vanilla and toasty oak flavors. Truly an exceptional product. It's one of my favorites, again, to make and, you know, certainly imbibe. Oh, it's delicious. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. I really appreciate your time. And maybe I'll come and visit you one of these days. Yeah, hey, reach out to me. If you ever want to come by, I'll, I'll be happy to show you around. Yeah, and if you're ever in uh, New York, let me know. Okie doke, I will. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about your bitters now. The Falernum bitters, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you if you like our rum, you'll definitely like our Falernum bitters. And, uh, messing around with the those the Falernum and the Wormwood both for cocktails is, is, is a trip. It's a lot of fun. All right. Thanks again, Michael. All right. Thanks. Bye now. Bye. All right. Well, we got a little rum mucation there. Rum, rum mucation, rum, rum education there. And uh, thank you to Michael. We're going to do our toast in just a minute. We do a toast at the end of every show. But first, I have a very big favor to ask you. And if you never do anything else for me ever again, just do this one thing. Right now, nominations are being taken for the Taste Talks Food and Drink Awards. And there's a category, Best Radio Show or Podcast. 
that's food or drink related. And if you could vote for Bartender Journey, that would be incredible. I'd appreciate it so much. And uh, I will put a link on bartenderjourney.net about how to do that, a link through to the Taste Talks website. Once you get to the Taste Talks site, you'll have to fill in your name, and there's a lot of different categories there, so you can vote for your favorite restaurant or your favorite chef, your favorite bar program. But when you get through to the category called best radio show or podcast please put in bartender journey podcast and then put in you have to put in the uh, website address as well which is bartenderjourney.net so if you could do that for me i would be so appreciative again go to bartenderjourney.net and you'll see the link for vote for bartender journey podcast for the taste talks awards thank you all right here's our toast may the face of every good news and the back of every bad news be toward us Cheers, we'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Don't let us submit, suggest, propose the question of repeal. Let us advocate it, demand it, guarantee it, and assure it, and get it by victory next November.